Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, for the final time in 2020, and we sure hope 2021 will not be filled with nearly as many hard times as we've experienced in this past year. But the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is back, like I said, for the final time in 2020 with our last show on New Year's Eve, mind you, to break down everything that happened this week in AEW and NXT. And of course, this was an extremely unique Wednesday night of professional wrestling with AEW in particular celebrating the life of Brody Lee, who died over the weekend at age 41. We are going to talk about AEW's special tribute show. We're going to talk about NXT, the go-home show, to New Year's Evil, and we're also going to quickly preview both major shows to start the new year, AEW, New Year's Smash, and NXT, New Year's Evil, before this show is out as we wrap up 2020. Before we get to all of that, a reminder for you all to go back and listen to the first two shows that we had this week. We did a full breakdown of WWE SmackDown and Raw, including some of the tributes that WWE did for Brody Lee on Monday night. We also then came back on Wednesday with our Getting Over Awards, aka the Meaties, our inaugural award show on this podcast. I've already gotten a lot of great feedback, so I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. But do not forget to listen to that. Not only is it an award show, it's also a 2020 year in review. We look at the world of professional wrestling and everything that happened across really all the brands, but particularly the American brands of pro wrestling. Also, folks, you guys know it's the end of the year. I've said it so many times from March when we started this podcast all the way until now. Do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. Allow us to leave the new year leave the old year and start the new year on the right track with your five-star rating and a couple words about why you love this podcast. And also do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So as I said, we're going to jump right into it today. And we have to start, of course, with AEW Dynamite and the very heartfelt, emotional tribute to none other than Brody Lee, real name John Huber, the former Luke Harper in WWE. This is a difficult show to not only discuss, but to review given its emotional nature and the fact that it somehow existed in the gray area between reality and kayfabe. That's one of the reasons it was so successful in being a celebration and being a tribute because AEW allowed Dynamite to be emotional and unreserved while simultaneously being very entertaining. It was a good show with a lot of really good wrestling. It was the best memorial show that I've ever seen in wrestling. And it's not like we grade them or quantify them, but in terms of actually memorializing someone and celebrating them, I thought AEW and Tony Khan did an absolutely fantastic job given all of the circumstances And unfortunately, considering the wrestling community, there have been far too many of these types of shows. But this is the first of its kind that we've had really since WWE back in the day lost under very different circumstances, Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. 
So, I mean, just for this to happen the way it did and for AEW to do the job it did honoring, memorializing, tributing Brody Lee was, it was just really touching and fantastic. Brody's son was also extremely cute, uh, wearing a suit just like his father did, as well as the evil Uno mask for Dark Order. Kid was extremely strong. I mean, to go through everything he did over the course of that show, be involved as much as he was, which was great to see because clearly he loves wrestling, but to not get emotional despite his age, despite his mother being there, it spoke a lot about that kid's strength given uh, the circumstances that he's seen now his father go through and ultimately, you know, perish. The crowd uh, was incredible, chanting for Brody Lee all night. The 10 bell salute was also very well done. I appreciated that it was not just the wrestlers, but everyone was out there. Everyone was out of their gear, wearing plain clothes. It, it was just real. It was more real than it was kayfabe people doing a 10 bell salute for someone who fell. Uh, then right off the top, we got John Moxley, who opened the show with a perfect tribute to Brody. I think it's going to be, it would be inappropriate for me to try and recount all of their personal feelings in my own words. So I'm not really going to do that. But Moxley certainly had a unique perspective on Brody especially as a soon-to-be father himself. The first match was Cole Cabana and the Young Bucks defeating Matt Hardy and Private Party. It was a fantastic match to open the show, a truly great six-man. Cabana hit the Chicago skyline, then he got the pinfall with his Superman pinning combination after the Melter driver from the Bucks. Cabana also got to take out the acclaimed with Boom Boom, and he raised the Dark Order hand, as everyone basically did before and after their matches. You had Lance Archer and Eve Luno and Steve Grayson uh, against Eddie Kingston, the Butcher, and the Blade. Of course, the Dark Order duo plus Lance Archer won this match. Archer was dressed up as Luke Harper, though his tank top needed a little bit more dirt on it. I thought they could have uh, figured out a way to get that thing dirtied up. But nevertheless, he was dressed as Harper. Uh, Kingston sent love for Brody Lee, but said Dark Order was nothing without him. This was another exciting six-man ending with the Dark Order hitting the fatality for the win. Then the face side all got to batter Kingston, basically for his comments, with Jake Roberts hitting the lariat as a tribute afterward. Another really sweet touch. The next video package included FTR and Arn Anderson recounting working with Brody in WWE. I mean, they didn't say that, but in WWE and AEW and how he was such a family man and always making people laugh. Each video package had somewhat of a different theme to it. And I, I thought that was a very nice touch as well. The match of the night, uh, truly, what came with Hangman Page, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds against the inner circle trio of MJF, Santana, and Ortiz. This thing tore the house down. It was really awesome. Chris Jericho was great on commentary all night, but particularly here because his faction mates were fighting. They all threw papers at the inner circle in reference to being the elite. Silver was wearing gear Brody bought for him, which was really sweet. We need to say he should never wear it again. It made him look super weird because he's a small guy wearing a tire that's made for a tall guy. So it shrunk him even further. But it, it was a nice tribute, of course, in the moment. It was just funny to see him. It looked strange a little bit. MJF, MJF was great this whole time. Uh, he was yelling at Brody's son at ringside, gave the kid the finger. He eventually tore off his mask and spit on it. So you knew he would get comeuppance in the end. And, and you know, they played it out that way. MJF is such a great no caring asshole heel after the show he even tweeted fuck that kid <laughs> which like who does that right mjf does that that's the answer so mjf 
being such a heel and working with Brody Lee's son, honored Brody Lee, even though I know some people didn't understand that, but that, that was the purpose of the entire thing. Silver hit an incredible Canadian destroyer backbreaker using his ankles. MJF came back with a heat seeker, uh, but an Ortiz powerbomb ended up getting saved. Wardlow then interfered, and Eric Redbeard, better known as Eric Rowan, ran in for the save, fought Wardlow to backstage. Jericho was using all WWE names throughout the night without a care. I mean, of course, who does care? AEW wouldn't have cared. WWE, I'm sure, didn't care at all. Um, But Jericho, that's how he knows these guys, because he worked with them for so long in a different company. The faces did enough for the win, but MJF made the save. Then, as I said, he pulled the mask off Brody's son, spit on it. So negative one, which is his Dark Order name, hit him with a kendo stick, uh, which was great. Silver then won with the discus clothesline, and he broke down crying in the middle of the ring. Uh, Roman came back with a sign saying, goodbye for now, my brother. See you down the road. And he was crying too. From a tribute standpoint, this was the match of the night. uh, And it was, sorry, it was great that Rowan got a chance to say goodbye on TV despite not being signed anywhere himself. He probably wasn't going to get a chance to do it in WWE. So the fact that AEW brought him on to do that was great. It'd be pretty cool to see a Rowan versus Wardlow match, but I don't actually think he's going to get signed there, of course. Uh, the women's match was next, a tag team, Anna Jay and uh, Ty Conti against Britt Baker and Penelope Ford. Even given this special show, the women only got like six minutes and a really long commercial. You guys know the criticisms. Jay beat Ford with the Queen Slayer Sleeper. I also noticed during this match, and I should have noticed it earlier, but the background was darkened the entire show with purple highlights, which was a really nice touch too. Baker tried to cut a promo after referencing Big Rig, uh, saying the match was rigged, which is one of Brody's names. It, it was kind of messy. Thunder Rosa then attacked her afterward to continue their storyline from last week. Kingston's video um, focused on Brody's children and ensuring his memory was never forgotten. Jericho, in a video, recalled Brody's intelligence, said Brody's one of the few people his dog actually likes, and added that Brody spent the last six months of his life proving he could be the main eventer that he knew he could be and others knew he could be as well. And that is most certainly true. Brody Lee didn't really get the chance to have the AEW championship, but he led a faction. He was the TNT champion and he had an AEW championship match and he proved he could definitely be in that category of main eventer. Probably a little bit more of a B-side, but I mean, there's some, Randy Orton for his career is a B-side. There's nothing wrong with that. Brody Lee did prove that there was more to him. And as we discussed on our Tuesday episode, you go back and think about the Luke Harper, Bray Wyatt, and Randy Orton feud culminating in that WrestleMania match, which was only Orton and Wyatt. And you just go back and think about that. And they had a chance to put Harper in that match and have Harper win the title. And the place would have lost it. He was super over. He could have made evented in WWE. Never got that chance. At least he did get that opportunity in AEW. Uh, The show ended with a match and then a a unique segment to to conclude. The match was the three favorite wrestlers of Negative One, Cody Lee, Orange Cassidy, and Ten. They beat Team Taz. Orange Cassidy hit the orange punch. Cody hit the crossroads. And Ten hit a spine buster all on Ricky Starks for the win as Dark Order finished 5-0 on the night, which of course was expected, but also cool. Team Taz attacked from behind during the celebration. The lights went off and Darby Allin came out. Then they went off again and Sting came out from the same door. They walked together and again, Team Taz ran away despite 
still having really the numbers advantage on them. I'm not going to criticize the Sting stuff this week, uh, but it was good to see some development, at least with Sting and Darby Allen. So we do know that they're together in some way. And the question is, what way is that going to be? Certainly, we will find that out at some point. The final uh, eight minutes or so of Dynamite was a tribute to Brody Lee. The rest of the show, uh, you know, it was not overly unique for a memorial, what they did. The video packages were. The matches weren't. But this made Dynamite particularly special and emotional. Cody said some very sweet things about Brody's positive impact on every locker room he's been in. And then Brody Lee made his dad's entrance with his mom, uh, John's wife, Amanda, along with Ten. Kind of, I think he was there more for emotional support and probably because he was his favorite wrestler. And then Tony Khan was there as well, who this was his first real appearance on AEW Dynamite in a speaking role where he was actually in the ring. Uh, Khan said Brody was the greatest TNT champion of all time and told his son that his father would be the TNT champion for life and he gave him the championship title. Tony Schiavone later explained that AEW was going to be retiring that version of the TNT championship. He explained this off TV, which is incredible and it's really sweet. There's a story going around that when Brody Lee won the TNT title, that his son slept with it in his bed the first night. So now he gets the actual title to keep and to sleep with every night, as long as he wants, of course. That is incredible. Uh, It also, you know, by virtue of retiring the design, it gives AEW the opportunity to redesign the title. And, you know, we're honest on this podcast. It was poorly designed. Uh, It wasn't really a great looking title. So the fact that AEW gets to do that as well is, from a conceptual standpoint, you know, uh, a, a little bit of a positive. But it is very touching that Brody Lee's son got to take the title home and that they are retiring that design with Brody Lee. That is incredible. Uh, Khan then introduced a video slideshow to end the entire program that included a ton of family photos, including pictures of Brody in WWE with Rowan, Bray Wyatt, Biggie, Sami Zayn, Becky Lynch, Seth Rollins, and a ton of others. So these were not WWE photos that were used. They were the wrestler's personal photos. But obviously, all of these people that impacted Brody's life got an opportunity to be on Dynamite, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, Many of them were pictures that you've seen on social media already. It was a sweet finish, uh, an incredible memorial, a great celebration, a true tribute to Brody Lee across the board by AEW. I think the wrestler's um, the other talent that wasn't really on screen that you didn't get to see, and Tony Khan individually. They all deserve a lot of credit for putting the show together, having it come off the way they it did, really without a hitch. It just was truly special. And I hope that we actually never see anything like it again. That is the biggest takeaway. Because as special as it was, you don't want to experience this. Um, I got choked up during it. You know, I'm sure you guys could tell I got choked up going through my notes here, reliving it, um, recounting it, I guess I should say. And look, um, AEW did a real good one here. And, you know, there's a lot of people that I've seen tweet. I replied to one of them. I didn't feel it was appropriate to reply to all of them. They were criticizing WWE for not doing a 10 bell salute at the top of their program on Monday. I mean... I mentioned it on Twitter. I think I said it on Tuesday's show. WWE, that's something that they reserve for either legends 
or employees that die while they're employed by WWE, meaning current talent, not former talent. So it wasn't a surprise to me that they didn't do it. Uh, it was reported by PW Insider that WWE purposely kept down its tribute on Raw despite doing a ton of tributes on Raw, but they kept it down somewhat because they wanted to let AEW go first, which I thought was very nice. Uh, as we tape the show on Thursday, WWE's released a six-minute tribute video with a bunch of wrestler interviews, all talking about Brody Lee, which you will cry if you watch that, I guarantee it. Um, certainly, we don't know what they're going to do on SmackDown, but the expectation is there's going to be a little bit more coming from them as they were continuing to tape these tributes, and the idea was to get talent from Raw and SmackDown. I just think the tribal ask, people trying to make this a tribalism type of deal, criticizing the way a company does or does not tribute someone when clearly they intended to and did uh, throughout Raw and are going to again on SmackDown, I just think it's ridiculous. Uh, there's no standard. There's no policing of something like this. Uh, Brian Myers tweeted about it and a former WWE writer tweeted, tweeted about it. Darby Allen tweeted something like, hey, we're going to get a real tribute tonight on AEW. Again, I mean, it doesn't really matter, but WWE did that on purpose. They wanted AEW to be able to honor their employee. So I think it's all ridiculous. I hope that this is the end of it and we never have to talk about that part of this again. Um, but Brody Lee, clearly a very special performer, a very special person, father, husband, more importantly than that. And I think that's what you got to experience and realize from watching all the reaction on social media, what WWE did on Raw, and most certainly what AEW did Wednesday night on Dynamite. So we move over to NXT, which... You know, we're not comparing the shows. The way I want to explain NXT is, if this had been head-to-head -head with a regular episode of Dynamite or the New Year's Smash as previously planned, you would say this was a great show for NXT. Like, it was top to bottom, an extremely entertaining show that I think a lot of people are not going to end up seeing because there was something far more important at hand going on with AEW Dynamite. So with that, I'm going to maybe provide a little bit more detail than I normally would on this show with NXT because I do feel like a lot of you didn't see it and are probably listening to this podcast to almost serve as your recap. And that's understandable, certainly given the circumstances. Uh, the, the show started off with Bronson Reed defeating Isaiah Swerve Scott. I was surprised to see them put two guys together who both need wins. It was also good to see Swerve wrestle outside the cruiserweight division finally, but he almost got squashed in this match. Reed hit a senton and then the tsunami got the win. I don't get why they would book this this way. There are so many other guys that Bronson Reed could fight and defeat. It does help Reed, but it hurts Swerve, who's fresh in his heel turn and needs some wins. This episode also served as the NXT year-end award show. I'm not going to spend too much time on breaking down the awards, who I voted for, who should have won, but we will talk about it. I was one of the media members who NXT gave an individual vote to, so I did feel like my vote counted in that way, and certainly many of the choices I made ended up winning, which, you know, goes to show hopefully I was on the right path, or at least I am compared to the fans and other media members uh, when talking about NXT. I will note the important things that happened. 
Io Shirai won Female of the Year. Adam Cole won Male of the Year. And then Shirai beat Cole for Overall Competitor of the Year. I did vote for Cole over Shirai just because of overall match quality and how many different storylines he's been in, along with the Pat McAfee. Being able to raise uh, an amateur's game to that level is just something that Shirai did not do this year, despite being great, despite being champion for most of the year. Uh, Shotzi Blackheart won Breakout Star of the Year and cut her most realistic and normal promo yet, a far cry from that shitty tank promo from a few months ago that was just ridiculous. Uh, the next match was Grizzled Young Veterans against Brizongo. NXT announced that the Dusty Rhodes Cup will be back in two weeks. That will be really good to get all these teams working together again. Fandango jumped off scaffolding, seemingly for no reason, to take out the heels, hurt his knee in kayfabe. Uh, it was a fine match with the Grizzled Young Veterans winning uh, with Ticket to Mayhem for the clean victory. It looks like they're going to be getting a push in the Dusty Rhodes Cup, and deservedly so. I would probably put them as the favorites to win the entire thing. Everrise tried to talk some shit, then ran away uh, from the veterans after. It should also be noted that Fandango and Tyler Breeze both honored Brody Lee during this match. It was, I think, Gargano did a discus clothesline in the main event, but other than that, it was really these two who had experience with him on the main roster, who got the opportunity to kind of do a couple moves, stances. I think one of them was wearing an armband, so you could tell it kind of came within this match. Adam Cole and Roderick Strong will be re representing Undisputed Era in the Dusty Rhodes Cup. Undisputed Era won the award for Tag Team of the Year, which was primarily uh, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish. Uh, the Chinese Torture Factory, because we still don't know their name, uh, that we got another vignette from them. Boa and Xia Li were dressed in all white, marked with black lines on their heads. And then smoke was blown in their faces by the mysterious woman. Then she led them into the light, literally and proverbially as well. Uh, their debut as a group begins next week, now that they have, I guess, survived this entire ordeal. I'm still totally buying this. I'm really excited to see the presentation, what they do, and if they actually get legitimate pushes, which I hope is the case. Mercedes Martinez defeated Valentina Faroz in a squash match. Martinez hit a great overhead belly-to-belly -belly suplex using just her opponent's neck. That's so cool. Uh, then she won with the air raid crash. Faroz is former Rita Rice. That was her old name. Relatively new in the industry. I believe she has a karate uh, jujitsu background. I hope I said that right. This was her first singles match on NXT. Second match overall. She was in that women's battle royal a few months ago. Pete Dunne defeated Roderick Strong in a singles match. No surprise it was very good. It didn't bang the way I expected it to. Lots of technical proficiency from both guys. The finish kind of came out of nowhere with Dunn snapping Strong's fingers, picking him up, hitting the bitter end for the win. Vic Joseph called this a human game of chess, and that was really the best way to describe the match because it was not filled with a lot of high-intensity wrestling. It was very entertaining, but it was shorter than I would have liked. It was a little bit less exciting than I would have liked. Pete Dunn, Roderick Strong should be an absolute banger, no worse than four stars. This just never, ever got there. And it wasn't supposed to. But when you see them fighting and their build, that's what you expect and what you want. Uh, Finn Balor called out Kyle O'Reilly after Balor and O'Reilly won the best match award. I had Walter and Isla Dragunov for that one. This being a close second, though. So, you know, not an offensive decision. Balor declined his award from William Regal, but took O'Reilly's to the ring, said he would hand it to him personally. On his way, he encountered Dunn coming off the set from his match. They jawed at each other for a bit. Balor said 
Everyone wants a shot at the champ and to get in line. I loved that interaction. It was so different. It also made me rethink a little bit what I expect to happen at New Year's Evil. Maybe Kyle O'Reilly won't win the title, as I initially thought. O'Reilly said he didn't want the award either once he made his way to the ring, but it proved he's a main eventer. He built up the NXT title as meaning that the last 15 years of his career would be worthwhile if he could win. It would mean he reached the top. He's the number one guy in the whole industry. This was a great babyface promo from O'Reilly. Just one of the best we've gotten in NXT all year, to be honest with you. He crushed it. Balor said it was nice to hear, but he would do everything possible to make O'Reilly suffer and pay for breaking his jaw. The moment was fire, but it kind of got dragged down a little bit by Scarlett and then Karrion Cross coming out to say whoever won next week was irrelevant because their fate was already sealed. I like Cross fine, but it was kind of a downer because what they said is what I believe to be true, that whoever does retain the title is going to lose it in short order to Cross because that was clearly the plan when Cross beat Keith Lee, he was the champion and he had to relinquish the title. So it just kind of sunk in like, oh yeah, well, whoever does win, it probably is not going to matter for that long. So despite all that happening, it ended up being pretty hot. Uh, Damian Priest appeared over Cross's shoulder and then they came to blows, each taking each other out through the hockey glass over the barricade. This was an absolute hoss fight. They crashed into a huge table with a ton of electronics on it. The match is going to rule and it may be what Cross needs to get over because the match with Keith Lee wasn't the right fit, but with Priest, them being able to do a hoss fight would be great. I hope it ends up being a street fight. They did not announce that stipulation, but they have a week. Hopefully they realize that it needs to be, because if these two are just going to wrestle in the ring, it really is going to take away from what made this segment so great in the show. They also aired an incredible video package with Rhea Ripley, and I'm not exaggerating when I say incredible. It was awesome. She was explaining how close she was in real life to Raquel Gonzalez when she moved from America uh, to, sorry, from Australia to America. And she even showed off that they have a matching RNR tattoo on their fingers. I'll tweet out the video uh, if it gets posted because that's how badly I want you to see this. It truly was awesome. Legado del Fantasma hit the ring with Santos Escobar telling his guys to soak in their success from 2020. Escobar said William Regal won't be able to find anyone who belongs in the ring with him or Legado, the kings of Lucha Libre. Suddenly out of nowhere, Lince Dorado and Grand Metalik show up and they said Lucha Libre is actually for everyone. And they basically started a match right there, came out of nowhere. Lucha House Party ends up defeating Legado del Fantasma. It was awesome and unexpected. I wish they had saved this for a show that more people were watching given the circumstances, but obviously they had it planned. They couldn't just go back on it. Vic Joseph popped me in a major way with a Super Troopers reference while Lince Dorado was on the top rope. He said, like, he's going to make a dive, right? Meow. Uh, it's really funny. Uh, Metalik hit a great Huracarana off the ring apron. Then Dorado nailed a Poison Rana and Metalik did his type rope elbow drop for the win. Metalik was then signaling for a title, like on his waist after the match. And it was announced right as the show was ending that he will challenge Santos Escobar at New Year's Evil for the Cruiserweight Championship. That is going to bang in a major way. It also now makes even more sense why Metalik got a singles win over Miz on Raw. So it ties that into the entire thing. Really good stuff. I saw people speculating that now Lucha House Party is in NXT. I don't think that's the case. I just think they did the match and the segment this way to give Escobar an opponent that he could beat 
for New Year's Evil. Uh, Metalik against Escobar is going to be an incredible match, a must-see match that you're going to want to tune into that show for. So I just think that's the reason. Once that ends, they'll be back on Raw. I could be wrong. Maybe they do keep him in NXT, but they don't need Lucha House Party in NXT. They should be back on Raw. The show closed with a great main event. The North American Championship on the line, Johnny Gargano against Leon Ruff. The Way entered the PC early in the show and saw a black cat. Gargano freaked out. Austin Theory later won the Future Star of the Year award. And during that segment, the Garganos made Theory share the award with Indy Hartwell, quote unquote, his sister, you know. Uh, And he said he was confident Johnny would break his curse of losing titles right away. Gargano then threw the the Way protein uh, and broke a mirror. And then he walked under a ladder, not knowing. It was really funny stuff. The Way is truly hysterical and entertaining. It's the funniest thing going in wrestling right now. I absolutely love it. As far as the match goes, Gargano used his relative size to dominate best he could, whilst also escaping numerous attempted pinning combinations. Gargano super kicked the shit out of Ruff uh, while he was kneeling for a two count. He also hit a discus lariat and a powerbomb for another two. Ruff then broke Gargano's escape at the ropes. Ruff hit an insane diving cutter off the ring apron to the outside. This guy just keeps proving himself every single time he gets in the ring. He's a really damn good wrestler. He then hit a frog splash for a long two. Gargano did an incredible fake powerbomb from the ropes into a face first shot into the top turnbuckle. So think, think about a guy standing on the second rope, ready to power powerbomb somebody off of it, instead dropping down and dropping the person backwards. Awesome, really cool inventive move. He followed that immediately with one final beat for the win to retain the title. It was a fantastic match, a worthy main event. Again, something I think people probably won't wind up seeing because they were watching Dynamite instead, which is totally applicable, makes total sense. This will be on WWE Network. I would make sure you watch this match and I would make sure you watch this episode of NXT. It was really that good. The Way celebrated massively afterwards, and that ended up being the final NXT scene of 2020 in the same way that the Rhea Ripley celebration was a year ago. But then the lights flickered, and we got a little bit extra. Dexter Loomis appeared to show off the insane New Year's Evil card that NXT has ahead. And what we're going to do now as we wrap up this show is do a very quick, I I don't want to call it ultimate preview because it's not, a very quick preview of NXT New Year's Evil and AEW New Year's Smash because both of those are coming next week. They are pay-per-view quality cards and we're just not gonna otherwise have an opportunity to talk about them before they happen. So since we're talking NXT, I'll just keep going with New Year's Evil. We'll start with Santos Escobar defending the Cruiserweight Championship against Grand Metalik. It should be an absolute banger of a match as I've said now three times. I see no way the Cruiserweight title changes hands, but I do think Metalik's a great opponent to give Escobar, you know, a little bit of a boost because he hasn't really been on TV much. The Cruiserweight title hasn't been featured much. They need to get that thing rolling again. Metalik's a really great option for this. We also have Tommaso Ciampa against Timothy Thatcher in the fight pit. You guys know how how excited I am for another fight pit. I don't know who's going to win. You would think it's going to be Ciampa, but there's really not shame in Thatcher dominating this particular stipulation type of match, it would give Champ an out for losing, given the fact that Thatcher's already beaten Riddle in this match. Now, you could think, well, if that does happen, 
Could that lead Champa going to the main roster like it did Riddle? I don't think that's going to happen. Champa's strong enough where he could bounce back from it. So I'm going to surprise you probably here. I'm going to pick Thatcher to beat Champa in the fight pit and use that to enhance his profile. I, again, I don't think Thatcher really has a high ceiling as a wrestler in any company. It's not that he's not good. He is. But given the gimmick, the look, the skill set, that's not a world champion. So maybe he could contend for the North American Championship in NXT. And I think this might kind of put him on that trajectory. Though, of course, right now there's a heel as champion. So that wouldn't make sense. We're going to have a last woman standing match between Raquel Gonzalez and Rhea Ripley. Again, another match that should absolutely bang. This card is as good as any TakeOver card probably that's ever existed. Um, It's just match after match after match is going to be awesome. As far as this goes, you know, there's a couple of ways you can think about it. Rhea Ripley's been losing a lot recently. She could use a big win. On the other hand, Raquel Gonzalez is getting built up seemingly to be a challenger at some point for Io Shirai. I think given this match, given it's a last woman standing stipulation, which you guys know I don't like those matches, but that is the stipulation, Rhea Ripley can lose without getting pinned. So therefore, I'm going to go with Raquel Gonzalez winning. My expectation is Gonzalez challenges Io Shirai for the title at the next takeover, and then Io Shirai eventually drops the NXT title to Tony Storm at the takeover on WrestleMania weekend. That is how I expect this entire thing to ultimately play out. In a singles match, we will have Karrion Cross against Damian Priest. No stipulation announced. Again, I'm going to be very surprised if it's not a street fight of some type. No holds barred street fight, whatever you want to call it. I wasn't really looking forward to this match. However, after their interaction on NXT, I do think it can be a banger. It can be a true Hoss fight. And there's no other option than carrying cross winning. You know, you just brought this guy back. Priest can eat the loss. He's fine. I think carrying cross ends up getting the victory. And then the main event will be Finn Balor against Kyle O'Reilly, a rematch of one of the top 10 matches of 2020 to open 2021. Man, I just, I don't know what they're going to do here. I really thought Kyle O'Reilly would win the title and be a transitional champion for Karrion Cross. That Finn Balor interaction with Pete Dunne really has me second-guessing it. And it almost has me second-guessing it to the point where I don't think O'Reilly's going to win. But if O'Reilly doesn't win, then where the hell does he go? Maybe he becomes a challenger for Johnny Gargano and the North American Championship? I could see that. That's reasonable. Where does Finn Balor go? Well, the other challengers right now are Pete Dunne, a heel, and Karrion Cross a heel. And yeah, Balor's kind of a tweener, but is that potentially the direction you go? Do you have Balor fight Dunne next, beat him presumably, and then lose the title to Cross at the WrestleMania takeover? Or do you put Kyle O'Reilly in that position? It's tough. I know that no matter who I pick here, I'm going to be wrong. But as I do with everything, I'm going to stick with my initial gut. And my initial gut reaction told me that Kyle O'Reilly is going to be the new NXT champion coming out of this event. So with that, let's move over to AEW New Year's Smash, which is going to be a two-night show. Uh, It was supposed to be the second night going head-to-head with New Year's Evil. Obviously, given the circumstances, 
it will be the first night, but this thing has been built up in a major way. There's going to be an eight-man tag team match featuring the Young Bucks and SCU against the Acclaimed and the Hybrid 2. Very simply, Young Bucks and SCU win. I mean, I just don't see why the Heels would win given the situation. You're also going to get Cody Rhodes against Matt Seidel. That was originally scheduled for night two. It did get bumped up to night one. I just don't see a way in which Cody loses this match, so I go ahead and pick Cody as the winner there. They're also giving us Jake Hager against Wardlow. I mean, we want to talk about a Haas fight, Karrion Cross and Damian Priest. You're getting a competing Haas fight over on AEW with Jake Hager and Wardlow. I could really go either way here. I think Wardlow needs the win more and has a higher ceiling. I know he has a higher ceiling than Jake Hager. I'll stick with Wardlow. AEW Women's Championship is going to be on the line. Hikaru Shida against Abaddon. They could have Abaddon win. I mean, I see it as a possibility. I don't think it's a likelihood. I wish I could give you more analysis. There's really not much to give. Hikaru Shida is going to win and retain the title. They're advertising an appearance from former champion John Moxley. It'll be great to see John and, and we'll see what he has to say and really the direction his character goes. And Kenny Omega will be in the main event against Ray Phoenix AEW World Championship on the line. I mean, just think about next Wednesday. Head to head, we're going to have Kenny Omega and Ray Phoenix against Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly. This Wednesday night is going to be maybe the best wrestling night of all of 2021. And it's going to be the very first Wednesday. These shows are stacked. As far as Omega and Phoenix look, we know Omega is not going to drop the title in his second defense. And we know he's not going to drop it on TV probably to in a short build that's a makeup for a guy he didn't get to face due to an injury knockout. So Omega's going to win. The real storyline here is what happens. Does Moxley get involved afterward? Does Pentagon get involved afterward? What does Kenny Omega's character do? And how much does this match bang? I think this match is going to bang. It has the potential due to the wrestling talent to be the match of the night across both brands. Is it going to be far and away the match of the night? We're going to have to find out based on how both these shows develop. What I will say going in, I am most looking forward to Omega and Phoenix. That's my number one match. However, the NXT New Year's Evil card, top to bottom is stronger. You can't argue that. The matches on that card are sick and that has the potential to be our special event of the year uh, when we talk about it at year's end. These two, I think both are going to be in that final five of finalists. We just did our Getting Over Awards, aka the Meaties. I think we're going to be talking about these two shows, New Year's Smash and New Year's Evil, really at the end of 2021. And we're getting it, I think January like 3rd or something like that. The first Wednesday, we're getting two incredible cards. So I'm obviously very excited for NXT and AEW next week. I also want to thank all of you for listening to this show throughout 2020. You know, things changed for the Silver King this year. The old show I was on basically got canceled. First, the wrestling episodes got pulled. Then they moved the show into something else. And it's succeeding in a major way. I'm very happy for everything that's happening over there. And it also gave me the opportunity to kind of host my own podcast, which is not something I ever thought I would do. But so many of you listened. So many of you cared. So many of you supported me starting getting over you helped me with the name. You helped me come out with come up with the awards names. You guys contributed so I could get the proper equipment for the sound quality so it could be, you know, solid. You've listened to all the interviews that we've had throughout the entire year. There is so much ahead for the Getting Over Wrestling podcast in 
2021. I want to thank everyone who's joined me on the show throughout the entire year, both the guests, the co-host, Chris Vanini. You've heard more than anyone else, of course. He's the WWE co-host and occasionally joins me to talk AEW. It's just been a great year. We started in March, right before WrestleMania, right as the pandemic hit. I've had no opportunity to do this show in a normal wrestling environment, talking about shows in front of fans, you know, the way they should be. Um, And I hope that this has brought a sense of not normalcy, but community uh, to those of you who have listened over the course of these multiple months. So I thank you for listening to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast in 2020. I thank you because I know you're going to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I thank you because I know you're going to head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. I hope everyone enjoyed these Wednesday night programs, the AEW Dynamite being a particularly special edition of the show. And for the last time in 2020, the Silver King is saying goodbye, and I could not leave you without someone else saying goodbye on this final episode on New Year's Eve 2020. Thank you all for listening to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Have a very happy new year, and let's kick 2021's ass. Bye for now.